Say Your Piece was created with women in mind. Women are often unheard or spoken over, but not here. Here, women speak authentically and spiritually about their life experiences, no matter the subject. The pun is intentional. By saying their piece, they find their peace. Thanks so much for being here. My name is Ali Krasner. Let's dive in. Okay, so hello and welcome to this episode of Say Your Peace. I'm Ali and I am here with Jenny. Jenny is an artist. Jenny, can you tell us where you're calling in from today? I am calling in from beautiful Powell River, BC. Uh, it's on the west coast of BC. It's also uh, been gifted the name the Cathet Region. The Cathet Region? What is the Cathet mm -hmm. Region? It is a region of the, the Tlahaman Nation, and we are on the Georgia Strait, which is uh, really beautiful. There's Gulf Islands here. We're looking out at Texada Island and Vancouver Island. I always imagine British Columbia as being kind of idyllic. I don't know if it is uh, in real it's life. It's pretty or... idyllic, I'd yeah. say. <laughs> <laughs> we used to live in... Vancouver, and that's where I went to school, and, and I lived up until I was almost 30, and then we came on holiday to Powell River, which is also, it's uh, on the Sunshine Coast of BC. We came here on holiday and fell in love with it, and then about a year and a half later, moved up here. Wow. I've been here about, just over a decade now, I guess 12 years now we've been here. I love that you came on holiday to a place and then you decided to move there. It's very yeah. <laughs> adventurous. Yeah, it was uh, pretty incredible. We were looking at trying to buy a home and uh, in Vancouver and the, the Lower Mainland, it's very expensive as most cities are. And when we came here, there's lots of artists here and a lot of urban refugees, as people say, and, and people that work remotely and a lot of different people, people that work camp jobs and fly back and forth so there's a really interesting mix of people but it's fantastic yeah and so you yourself are an artist as well uh, so could you tell us a little bit about what you do what kind of art you make um i do a little bit of everything i do a lot of drawing watercolor painting uh, i use acrylic ink and pencil crayon i also make products. So uh, I launched a website with an online store recently. And on that site, I offer greeting cards and postcards and some stickers. I make toys and games. Um, I offer prints. I'm also doing workshops and custom work. I do commissions as well. And I do a little bit of everything. Coloring books. I'm doing a commissioned uh, series of coloring pages for a folk festival for the summer, like a virtual folk festival. So yeah, a little bit of everything. A virtual folk festival, I love that. Like a coloring book for adults in a way? It, it's gonna be, the folk festival has been going for decades and because okay. of COVID they're doing it virtually this year. And uh, they've asked me to make coloring pages for the kids and for the families. I, I'm gonna be adding in a bunch of activities and kind of memory keeping aspects to the coloring pages. It's going to be probably four, four different pages, I think, but yeah, we're still working out the details of it, but that'll be coming in July. I love that you're sort of a jack of all trade artists, as you say, right? Everything from coloring pages to acrylic to watercolors. Um, 
have you always been an artist or when did you kind of develop this talent? Um, I have been an artist since I was a kid. I have a lot of artists in my family. My dad is an artist, um, although he didn't do it professionally, but he was always painting and still paints, makes paintings as gifts and and does it as a hobby. And then uh, my mom's dad, so my grandfather on her side, also had uh, was an artist and had an art studio. I can remember one of my favorite childhood memories is going into his art studio in the backyard of their house and looking around at everything and wanting to touch all his brushes. And uh, yeah, I still have it where after he passed away over 20 years ago, I inherited a bunch of his art supplies and I've still got brushes of his. So it's been yeah, a lifelong passion. <laughs> yeah, it's like a legacy. I can imagine when you were a child, mm. that must have really sparked your imagination. I mean, even as an adult, me hearing that like an artist workshop in the woods or in British Columbia, it sounds very um, <laughs> romantic. Uh, so then it you was, even it went. It was pretty nice. Yeah. And you went on to go to art school as well. Mm, yeah, and I, it was more, I thought about doing going to a fine arts school for years and for whatever reason didn't ever feel quite right and then after working and traveling for several years uh, I ended up moving back to Vancouver and going to a design program and now it's called uh, design formation at Langara College but at the time it was called display and design and it's got it was a combination of graphic design interior design product design merchandising, marketing, it, it was really set people up to be independent design contractors in a lot of ways. So you could do, a, again, a little bit of everything. And really, I chose that program because I saw at their uh, grad show, I had a friend who was in the grad show. And when I went to go see it, there were these incredible marker renderings, like realistic drawings done with felt markers. And I had never, that was one of the few art mediums that I had never seen before. And I saw it and I thought, okay, well, this, I have to do this program because I need to figure out how to do marker renderings like that. And so that spawned taking that course, which through that I became more of a product seller and, and started contracting myself for commissioned work and yeah, did bits and pieces, did a lot of event work. I ended up working in the special events industry in Vancouver for some time before we moved to Pell River. Um, yeah, it, it was a great program, very eclectic. Again, the, the theme in my art, it was a, an eclectic combination of skills that we learned rather than just painting or printmaking or, or sculpting. I wanted to be able to do a bit of everything. And being a sort of introvert, did you find it difficult sometimes to defend maybe your sort of eclectic choices? I, yeah, I was always very shy and quiet in school, in elementary school and high school. And then when we, when I started the, the program at Langara, I was pushed into making work that other people were seeing because up until then I would generally do artwork for myself. I would fill sketchbooks. I would 
do personal projects, but that was before any kind of social media. And I was not showing in art shows or galleries or anything like that. I wasn't doing coffee shop art exhibits or anything even resembling that. It was very, very personal work. And then, so when I started school, we had to create artwork and put it up on the walls. we used to do critiques and let's say there was an assignment where we had to design uh, installation artwork. We would all create our designs and pin them up around the room and take turns one by one standing up and the rest of the class would pick all the holes in our design and say, well, why did you do that? That color seems strange. I don't think you should have curved it this way or the whatever it is, like the spacing looks weird or something. And you would have to stand there and take the the feedback and either defend your work and say, well, no, this is why I did it. I think it looks good or accept it graciously and and use it as a means of growing. And that was scary at first. We, we took supporting communications classes for public speaking. And I found that over the course of that program, that was one of the most vital things that I got because it gave me an ability to speak about my work with a bit of a thicker skin. So that's, I think, served me well. Yeah, I can imagine making the art mostly for yourself for most of your life and I guess putting a lot of yourself into it, being super vulnerable and then putting that out in public uh, could be really something difficult. Did you find it hard to adjust to that? I, yeah, over over the course of my life with art, there's been little blips before school too. There have been blips where I've tried to sell things, where I sold products at festivals or, or art fairs and things like that. But it was always very, I would do it for a little bit and then hold back and I would never go that big with it. And I wouldn't be super gregarious and and engaging with people that pass by. I would kind of sit there and maybe be drawing at the same time and, and just hope for people to come to me. And it definitely going through that process at the school helped me to be able to speak out about things and not be afraid of if someone says, well, you know, that's nice, but I don't, it's not really my thing. I can say, okay, well, thank, you know, thanks for taking a minute to look at it then. Or, well, what don't you like about it? Maybe I, that's good feedback for me. If people aren't interested in that, then what can I do to make it better? And rather than being shattered by it, which I might've been <laughs> in my younger days. So yeah, that's, it's been a constant adjustment. And now having a website and putting my artwork out for sale, that was a whole nother step where I dipped back into that same feeling of, oh, geez, what if I put this out there and people aren't interested or or what if they don't respond to it the way I hope they will? And then accepting what people say. And luckily people have been wonderful and it's been really a great, it's been received really well. But it's still, when I do get comments and things, I don't react negatively to them. I, I accept them for their best intention. I feel like that's such a good preparation in a way for our social media age, right? Because now 
when we put something out in public, everybody and their brother has an opinion on it, right? Either it's amazing or it's terrible, uh, and people can be quite brutal. Um, so maybe in a way it's kind of good to prepare to have sort of a, a thick skin um, when you put your stuff out there. Yeah, I think so. I think it's helped me in a lot of ways. It's it helped me even outside of with artwork. But I mean, I'm still timid. I don't share my opinions necessarily as much as I should. And it's a lot easier for me one-on-one rather than in a group of people. But that being said, speaking in front of groups, I mean, one of the things we used to have to do is we'd do presentations where we would have to give a, a speech about something and we would videotape it. And then afterwards we would watch the videotape and critique that as well, which I remember being so scared the first time. And then by the end of it, I was getting A's and A pluses because I just kind of settled in and that's helped my self-esteem and self-confidence in all things, I think. Yeah. yeah. And that's so great to say that it's a skill that you can develop because while that's mm. true that some people are naturally more comfortable, I think it kind of prevents certain people from putting themselves out there because they think they're just not good at it and they can't yeah. improve. Um, so it is nice to see that there's someone out there who has done it, right? <laughs> and you put yourself out there even more, um, right? You started working at an erotic art show, which <laughs> is uh, putting yourself out there to the next degree, I guess. Um, could you tell us a little bit how you came to do that? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, so when I first moved to Powell River, one of the first friends that I met was an incredible woman named Caitlin. And she had, uh, the year before, launched the Expose Yourself Erotic Art Show. And I was new to town. I hadn't heard of it. I hadn't been to that show. But she asked me, if, as an artist, if I'd be interested in either submitting artwork or helping to organize the show. And so I, you know, I loved her as a friend. She was fantastic. I thought, sure, whatever. If you're doing something, I'll be part of it. Let's go. And I'd never done any kind of erotic artwork before, but made some, I can't even remember what I'd made that year. She used to do something that was eroticize this and there would be a collection of different items that she had gotten from the thrift store and people would have to turn them into erotic art and <laughs> just inspired by whatever the item was and reinvent it. And I, I think the first couple of years, that was how I had started. But the main thing that it was, for me, it wasn't so much about the art that I was submitting, but in learning to put this show together with her and developing the curation of the show and the setup. I, as I said, I had worked in special events in Vancouver, so I had some experience with that. But it, it was really just great to get to be part of pushing people's boundaries a bit. And it was a really inclusive show. Uh, it, there was all kinds of orientations and expressions of sexuality. And it wasn't vulgar. I think some people think of it as being vulgar, but it was almost romantic. It was romanticized and humanized. And I think that was a big part of it, was humanizing sexual experience and normalizing it and making it so that anyone could 
talk about it and be present in that without feeling awkward. And some people, you'd see them blushing as they came in, but everyone's standing around and having a glass of wine and talking about artwork. And some people come wearing daring outfits and other people come wearing jeans and a t-shirt. And it was really incredible. It, it, it's since stopped running, but it was about a decade that she ran it. And I got to help her in almost every show. Yeah, that's great because erotic art, I feel like people have a lot of preconceived notions about that. Mm. Um, I myself, if you ask me what is erotic art, I'm not sure I would know what to respond. Um, but I do like your description of it being inclusive and humanizing people. Um, I guess, did the show have any sort of pushback from people with preconceived notions? Or did you yourself sort of change your ideas about erotic art? I think I did. It was interesting being part of the jury process because some pieces would come in and they would be overt. You'd look at it and think, oh, okay, well, we need to make sure that no one comes in unless 19 is the legal age that uh, you have to be in order to drink alcohol. So we made it a 19 plus show. So anyone who was coming to the see the show we knew would be an adult because there was mature content but then there was also images where it might be a painting of a close-up of of two people's lips kissing or something that it was the the way that the artist had expressed it made it erotic but it wasn't it wasn't pornographic and so i think getting to look through all the submissions and see the way that people expressed that was really interesting. Some, like I say, some things were very romantic or there was soft colors or it was photography and it might be out in uh, a single person out in nature and it was a nude photograph, but there was something very intimate about it. And so, yeah, it was very neat. And there were lots of uh, cool installations as well. One year as an artist or a team of artists did a booth where they took photographs of people's bare bums and anyone from the show I think dozens and dozens if not in the hundreds of people went through the booth and had their bum bare bum photograph that's so and great <laughs> plastered an entire wall with all these photographs and it was just the 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 basically the the bum crack and a little bit of skin on each side and that was it so it was very anonymous it was yeah very fun it kind of pushed people to feel a bit racy and do something outside of their comfort zone. There's been a lot of fun things that they've done and a lot of really unique locations. Yeah, it was cool. I like the fact that it's kind of participative and people can feel like they're part of it and doing something yeah. adventurous. And yeah. yeah, and there would always be musical guests and live artwork happening and all kinds of stuff. It was very involved one year we tried to touch on all five of the senses and there was a woman doing uh, natural perfumes and they were inspired by erotic themes. There, there was, yeah, a really incredible collection of artists from the Powell River area and nationally and internationally uh, we were getting submissions. So yeah, very cool collection of pieces. 
And did you ever try your hand at making erotic art or did you just stay in the organization? I I submitted something pretty much every year. Uh, Okay. they were they were usually small pieces. Sometimes I I know one year I took uh, I have a book of nude photography for artists so that you can draw uh, studies of people without actually having to have a live model. And Yeah. I went through and did a bunch of drawings of naked bodies and. printed them onto transparency sheets and then uh, painted them with acrylic and layered them on top of canvases. So they were images of single people, but layered on top of each other uh, with spacers in between so that it looked like multiple people together. So that was one of the pieces that I did that I've never done any other kind of artwork in that method, but was inspired to do something different. I, I've done quite often projects that I've never done in any other venue at this show. Yeah, it sounds like even though you're kind of a jack of all trades, it's expanded your horizons even further in, in some Yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's been really good. And it even led you to volunteering at a center for sexual health. Is that right? That's right. Actually, no, I wasn't a volunteer. I'd worked as the receptionist at the sexual health clinic for a few years. And it was, that was really cool. It was really great to be involved with that. I know one of the women there was working on expanding the sexual health education in the high schools. And it, it, it was interesting to get to be a part of encouraging more sexual health awareness in the town. Um, even now, I'm constantly telling my girls, uh, I have teenage daughters, and I'm saying, you know, if you ever have friends, like just tell, tell people that there's a free sex health clinic for teenagers, like you can go, like I'm trying to be really open with them and, and really supportive if they, have people that need that resource because I realize not all families are as open about that kind of thing as, as we are. So yeah, I, I hope that I can be a part of encouraging awareness about how important it is for people to be open-minded and value sexual health and not just think of it as birth control, <laughs> Yeah, that there's yeah. so much more to it than just that. So, yeah. Yeah, I grew, I grew up in the States and I feel like that was kind of the focus there. Uh, I don't know if the culture is similar in Canada or what, what is the culture around sex education in Canada? It's, um, there's definitely sex education. It's not as, it's not like a strict abstinence Kind of standpoint at least not in bc i mean it obviously it depends on where you are and, and what your upbringing is and each household is different uh, of course but i know that just my daughters in high school they have been raised in a town that seems pretty accepting i mean i know that there's genderless bathrooms and it's very supportive for 
trans kids. I, I know that there's several kids that are transitioned and it seems like they have the support of their friends and teachers and community. So I have a lot of hope for it. It doesn't seem like as close-minded as it was when I was a kid, I think. And I mean, not that that was that bad either, I suppose, uh, at the time, there's progress every generation, but it seems like a pretty good town for that, I think. <laughs> when I think of British Columbia, I think of a place that's relatively progressive. I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong. I think so. I mean, I'm trying to compare it to other places, but I've never really lived anywhere else for any long period of time. So I don't think we're doing, we're, we, it doesn't seem like we're as conservative as other provinces in Canada. So that's a good thing. And I think British Columbia, at least as part of it, is pretty free. There, there's a, a art show that actually I'm going to be submitting a piece to this summer. Uh, that's the What the Plus, and it's an LGBTQ and allies art show. And so as an ally myself, I'm contributing a piece. And so that's going to be cool. I, I, it seems like there's a very active network of support here for a diverse population, I hope, at least. And, and again, that's coming from my privileged perspective, but I think we're on the right track. Yeah. I mean, even when I was growing up in rural Pennsylvania, I went to a public school and uh, they had like a Christian group basically come into our school, even though it was a secular school, and basically, you know, tell us that abstinence was the only way and that, you know, if we had already had sexual relations, we could put a paper in a jar and get our virginity back. And, you know, it was just oh. very extreme. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, I don't know if in, in rural areas in the U.S. it's still like that. I hope not. Um, but it's just kind of a thing where... It's like if you're sexually active as a teenager, you're kind of shamed out of it and told that you shouldn't be and that you should right. somehow get your virginity back. Um, hopefully that's wow. not how kids are educated nowadays, uh, because I think it's counterproductive, to say the least. Right. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's something that is talked about openly. So you say there's no necessarily abstinence education. Mm -hmm. So people acknowledge the fact that, you know, teens are having sex um, right but yeah is, is it just sort of how to use birth control because that's another thing as well that's just kind of thrown at teens I feel like um, and it is important and but mm -hmm. but there's so much so many layers there's so many layers yeah yeah and so many layers to the experience and that it, it isn't just about whether or not you get pregnant or sure. whether or not you, there's an explicit yes or no, because even that, even with consent, there's so much layers, so many layers. And and then my daughters are dealing with, uh, they've mentioned numerous times that they've gotten unsolicited like dick pics and things like that, sexting, oh, wow. like okay. all this okay. stuff. And some of that kind of blows my mind. And I, I try to figure out how to advise them with that but that's so out of my realm of <laughs> what was even possible when I was their age so that yeah there's 
a constant constant change in what is the battle that they're fighting, I think. And yeah, I hope that by encouraging that pretty much as long as things are enthusiastically consensual and respectful and safe. And that's pretty much the guidelines that I'll continue giving my kids and making sure that people's feelings in whatever situation are kept at the top of concern. I'm pretty much that's the most important thing, I think. And that's crazy that you mentioned like the sexting and things like that, because I, that wouldn't have even come into my realm of possibilities for teenagers, but it's true that teenagers nowadays are growing up with that. And young teens. I mean, yeah. my girls are 14 and it's been over a year that they've been talking about. I think one of my daughters said that the first time that she got a picture like that, unsolicited, of course, was when she was 12. And wow. I, wow, wow, wow. And some of the things that it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's a, a very weird world. And I don't know what the solution to that is. But hopefully if people can just continue going about sexuality and sexual expression with empathy and respect and yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough thing to navigate. Yeah, it's so important what you talk about empathy and respect, especially now with the internet, we have access to so many things and I mean, it does make our lives easier in a way, but there's so many new dangers and things out there. Uh, and I think that that's great that you talk to your girls honestly and openly about about sexual relations and that as long as it's enthusiastically consensual, uh, you know, that's part of life. Because I feel like there are a lot of parents who just don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, and that can be detrimental because when kids come to, you know, think about doing it they're not sure how to go about it what's okay what's not okay um so i think that's that's really great that you're you're honest and open about that yeah well thank you it, it's definitely a strange <laughs> a strange thing to be navigating and as a parent the, the goalposts keep shifting and moving and we're trying our best but it seems like it seems like we've got a good collection of people that that are there to support us and and we've got we're lucky to have uh my sister-in-law and brother-in-law that live here and have kids very close in age so we've got a good network i think of people that they can all grow and learn together and a good good social network for the kids and yeah good community yeah, it's always helpful to have a, a supportive community because i mean i myself don't have children at this point, but I can imagine that be a very difficult topic to broach with your children. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely an adjustment. It, it seems like, and them going from elementary school to high school, like we don't have middle school here. It's just when they're finished grade seven, so around the age of 13, they go into high school and it's a big jump from little kids school to teenager school and the amount that all of us have had to shift and grow in how we interact with each other has 
changed a lot with that shift. And we have a, a son who is going into grade seven next year. So then soon enough, we'll have all our kids in this new teenage realm. And it definitely changes things. You, you start talking to them more on a, I, not peer level, but parenting stops being about guiding and shaping them. And it becomes about role modeling and being open and trying to give them accurate, accessible information and trying to, to give them the belief and the knowledge that they can find answers, not necessarily giving them answers all the time, but helping them to figure out how to get the answers and how to judge whether the answers that they're finding are correct or not, or whether they believe them or not. And yeah, I hope that we're doing a good job with it, but we seem to have good relationships with our kids <laughs> at least now so I hope that continues <laughs> well, I love that so much how you say that it's a transition from you know sort of telling them what's right and teaching them how to figure it out for themselves that's so profound in a way um, I was going to ask you if you had any any advice for parents uh, of teens but that, that's pretty good that's pretty good what you just said um, yeah I hope so we, we have a lot of time where we talk and I mean I get I sometimes my my girls especially will be like oh mom you're always trying to like fix things and give us advice and so sometimes I know I go overboard with that and I have to rein it in but I think just hanging out and trying to not judge them one of the things I really strive to do is when they tell me things I try to just not judge them for it and that's more challenging <laughs> than at sometimes than others. But yeah, yeah, it's an adventure, <laughs> parenting. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it is a big adventure. Awesome. Um, well, I think that's a good thought to leave us with. Uh, Jenny, if you want to maybe just tell our listeners where they can find you on social media or where they can purchase your art. Love to. Um, so I'm on Instagram at Jenny, J-E-N-N-Y dot Allen, A-L-L-E-N dot Taves, T-A-V-E-S. And my website is www.jennyallentaves.com. And I sell all kinds of art. I also do memory keeping and journaling stuff and, and yeah, love exploring and memorializing things through art. So I'd love to connect with anyone, anyone who's into the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you'd like a, a memory page, uh, Jenny does beautiful ones. She did a beautiful one for our program that everybody loved. So um, I'm well, sure. Well, thank you, Annie. I'm sure she'll do a beautiful one for you as well. <laughs> um, well, thanks so much, Jenny, for uh, spending some time with us. And um, we will be on the lookout for your art and your workshops. So much. Great talking to you, Allie. It's been a pleasure. Bye bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Emerge and Shine Academy. Put yourself out there, move past the fear of public speaking, and have fun doing it. Our monthly membership is three sessions a month and a supportive community of women. 
don't dim your light, embrace your shine. Learn more on Instagram at Emerge and Shine or on Facebook, Emerge and Shine. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of Say Your Peace.